All right, thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. Yeah, it's a great way to start the morning. Well, I, I want you to turn to the people next to you, just, just anyone next to you, and answer this question. If you were to make, what is one New Year's resolution that you would make, but you're not going to make because you wouldn't keep it anyway? Okay, so what's one New Year's resolution that you would make, but you're not going to because you're not going to keep it? All right, go. You got 20 seconds. 20 seconds. I figured that question was a lot easier than, than making you have to just, you know, come up with something profound. So, but uh, Happy New Year, everybody. It's, it's great to be with you as always, and uh, it's fun to start off a new year. I can't believe it's 2018. It, it, it feels like it's only been a week since it was 2017. So, um, but it, it, it really is fun to be with you. If you are like me, um, the last couple of weeks, you know, you have the, all the holidays and the time to kind of hang out and hopefully relax a little and all that, but whenever I come to a new year, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy, but, but like many of you, I like to take this time and I often look back at the year that we just made it through and look ahead at, at what's to come in 2018. And it's very common, and, and I know, yes, it's just a day on the calendar, but it's a good time to kind of think about fresh starts. But one thing that I notice for a lot of people, if they make New Year's resolutions or you, you know, make new goals or plans or whatever it might be for the next year, often we do that because we look back at the year behind and say, what are the things that we did that we wish we didn't do so often? And so next year, we're going to change that and do it differently. It, it, it might be you ate too much of a certain food, or you drank too much, or you spent too much, or whatever it is. And so now next year, my plans are to do that less, right? Or, or maybe you're on the opposite end, where you look back and you look at the things that you didn't do that you wish you would have done. And so now this year, you're going to be a completely 180 degree instead of, I didn't exercise, so this year, five days a week, I'm going to hit the gym, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be for you. And, and so often, we get to this time of year, and what happens, and I think one of the reasons why people don't always keep resolutions, because they're often like 180 degree turns. And, and the truth is, what we really, the better we can be at understanding our purpose, our identity, and knowing... It, New Year's shouldn't be a time when we about face, but when maybe just a little course correction, and you don't change the whole total direction of your life, but say, oh, I'm going to kind of focus a little differently or revise a little. And it should be the same in most organizations. An organization that changes gears every year and goes the other direction is in trouble. And, and so we're going to actually take the, the first three weeks of, of this year in January to remind ourselves of our course, our direction as an organization, but also as individuals, as, as followers of Jesus. Um, and so the next three weeks, we're going to be kind of exploring that. Now, I want to make a statement really quickly, though. For those of you who don't like the nuts and bolts and strategy and all this stuff about, oh, are we talking about what the church is going to do this year? I want to tell you right now, no, we're not. We want to remind you of a little bit of the what we want to be as a church, but we want to root it in Scripture and why 
We want to find the purpose, the identity, why we want to be the church we want, that, why we want to participate with God in being a certain type of church, why we as followers of Jesus are being challenged and to live certain ways or to be transformed by Christ. And so we're going to dive into scripture and find our why so that we're not losing our motivation because without a why, it's really tough to keep moving on. So we're going to deal with that for the next three weeks. And we're calling this together. And the reason we're calling this together is because we don't believe that the Christian life is meant to be lived alone. We don't believe that it's healthy for you to try to live it alone. We don't believe as a, as a church organization that this is about any one person or a leadership team or anything, that this is something that happens together. And in fact, the majority of the commands in Scripture are commands that are plural. They're sent to a community. And very few commands in Scripture or instructions in Scripture are given to an individual. And so we believe that together, this is the type of community that God is calling us to be. So that's what we'll be exploring. And I invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you again for this morning. I thank you uh, for the reminder that our lives are rooted in the powerful, the wonderful, the beautiful name of Jesus. That our lives don't have to be rooted in who we are, or our goodness, or our power, or our strength, Lord, but in you. And that's the kind of community we want to be. So, Lord, I pray that now my words would be yours, and would you transform um, our lives together, Lord, for your name. We give you this time. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. And uh, 1 Timothy, if you're new to Scripture, is kind of near the end of the Bible. If you're using a digital version of the Bible, it's uh, near the end of the list of books in the Bible. So uh, you can find it that way. But what, when I was thinking about how are we going to spend these first three weeks of the year, if we're going to be talking about a little bit of what is the who we want to be and what God is calling us as a community, I wanted to root it in, as I mentioned, we want to root it in Scripture. And I was thinking, where's a great place where we find uh, kind of purpose for church and, and instruction. And in the letter of, of 1 Timothy, this is a letter that's written by a guy named Paul to Timothy. Timothy was, uh, you could call him his disciple. He was a student of Paul. He learned from Paul. And at the time, Timothy was leading a church in, in a city called Ephesus. And so it was a pretty large church. And Paul writes this letter of Timothy as an encouragement, as instruction to Timothy to say, hey, this is kind of the nuts and bolts of, of what a, a community of faith, what a, a church, which is essentially a, lo- a lo- local loyal gathering to Jesus Christ, what that looks like. But what I found in here, what I love, and we're going to explore for a couple weeks, is that what we find that Paul doesn't really worry too much about all the what the church needs to do without first addressing the why it's important. And so we're going to explore a little bit of that today in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Now before we get to that, I want to just set a little context because there's a lot of what that happens. And, and I want to just remind you of some of the what for us as Seekos so that this has a little more context. Now the what is, these are just five of what we call of our, our preferred future, our vision statements, that if we if someone were to describe Seacoast, we want these statements to be the what, what someone would describe. Oh, this is a community of people who are like this. So here's a, you don't have to memorize these. 
we just want these to be there that you understand, and you've, hopefully they're not new if you've been around with us for any length of time. You've heard these, but first one is this. We call it, we want to be a home for the lost and wandering. What we mean by that is if you are new to the faith, you are exploring the faith, or you have wandered away. Maybe you grew up believing, or maybe just wondering about belief, but you Right now, that seems far, or you have friends who are in that boat or whatever. We want to be home for you and for your friends and your family who are in that boat. We want to be a safe place to have questions and doubt and explore what it means to believe in Jesus. And so that's why radical hospitality is so important for us. We want everyone who steps on this campus to be accepted and loved and to feel welcomed because we believe that we want to be home for people who are saying, hey, I'm just trying to figure out this out. The next thing of this, uh, next what statement for us is we want to be a refuge for the broken and the hurting. We want to be a place where if you are here and and, and maybe you're recovering from something, maybe you're broken, uh, hurting from wounds of life, maybe some uh, addictions or maybe struggles in your marriage, maybe struggles in relationship, could be health issues. You could be broken and weary from religion and you need a place to come and rest and find refuge. There's people who've been just burdened with trying to follow God so perfectly that you're just burned out. We want to be a refuge because Jesus says, come on to me, all you who are broken and weary. You'll find rest for your souls. And, and so we want to be a, a refuge for those who are broken and hurting. The next thing is this. We want to be a light in, for the city. We don't believe that we are called to be a social club. We're not called to be um, some elite group of people that only know each other and we have secret handshakes and all these things. We are called to be a light to our city. We want to make a difference. We want to be a part of community transformation. We want to care for the poor and the needy. We want to be leaders in racial reconciliation. We want to engage in, in change that way because we believe that as people are transformed by the life of Christ, that's good news for the whole world. And then the next part is this. We want to be a center for multiplication. This is, in church terms, we call this, we want to be a church of discipleship. We don't want to just have knowledge and keep it to ourselves, but we want to bring people along. And here's good news. All of you can be a part of this. You might be on step one of your faith and saying, I'm just, I'm just starting to figure this out. Well, we want you to bring along someone else. Start raising someone else up in the faith. It might be a friend, that, that maybe a roommate. You say, hey, come with me and check this out. We're, I'm learning about Jesus. You should come. And we want to be a place where we are not just keeping this to ourselves. We want to be about multiplica- multiplication. So we want to raise one another up in the ways of the Lord. And that's important for us. And then the final statement is we want to be a community for our future generations. Another way we say it is we want to invest in future generations. And we care about our kids and our youth. These are, and so it's important for us as a church community that we are investing in our young people, our young families. And, and so we care, we're going to invest in, in, in their programs, in their buildings, in volunteers, because we care about what happens with our kids and youth. So that's some of the what. Now this what is all uh, under a statement that, you, again, hopefully you've heard, the statement that we say is we exist to help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow Him. Ultimately, this is the, the top level what we want to be about. We want to reach people who are far from God, and we want to reach people who are near to God. And we want all of us to discover life in Jesus Christ. And that second part, to learn to follow him, that's that process of learning what it means to have the life of Christ lived out in us and through us as we become followers of Jesus. And that's a lifelong process of the more and more, less of us and more of Jesus. 
as a way to think of that. So this is the what that we're talking about. And, but we're not going to get into all of these. I just wanted those to be context. So now these are all rooted in Scripture. We, talked, we had a whole series on it last year. But as those are rooted in Scripture, they match up with the New Testament church. And now as we look at this, Paul is writing to Timothy to a church that has a lot of those same values, those what's. But I want to look at the life or how Paul describes this in a way that I think is encouraging for all of us today. So pick it up in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for that reason I found mercy so that me as a foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, I want to stop there, and we're going to unpack this a little bit, because I believe this text here gives us the heart of Paul, who I would say is a pretty good example of, of understanding what the mission of God. And I think that this passage here is very encouraging for all of us, so I want to break it down, and let's begin with the first thing. Verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who strengthened me, because he considered me faithful in putting me into service. This very first thing is Paul says, I am grateful that God has called me and invited me into his story. I want to tell you here this morning that you are called and invited by God to participate in his story. You are called to be a part of God's mission of reaching others and redeeming and restoring the earth. You are called and invited in. Now, you might think, okay, thank you. But I want you to know, like, being called and invited and wanted to be a part of something is an exciting thing. I don't know if any of you have experiences I had growing up. I don't think our kids go through this as much anymore, but when, I remember elementary school on dodgeball day and PE when they used to have, like, the two cool kids pick the teams. Anyone remember those, those good old days? I don't think we do that anymore because a lot of us are scarred still. But so they would do that, or even better, they'd pick the two kids who they knew no one would ever pick to be the captains to pick everyone else. So, you know, you could be either end. But I've been there while you're watching the teams get picked, and you're still in line wondering, when will they pick me? And what kind of feeling is that as the line gets smaller and smaller, and you're still standing there trying to puff up your chest or whatever, and be like, I you know, I can, do, I can play dodgeball. You want me on your team. And, and you get to the point where it's like you and the kid in an arm cast, you know, and you're, and you're standing there, and the captain's actually having a tough, a tough decision deciding which one do I want. Do I want you or the kid in the arm cast? I'm not so sure. And you're sitting there kind of wrestling with that, like, are you kidding me? And how does it feel on that side? Or even better, how does it feel maybe on the other end? If when you do finally get picked, or maybe you get picked and you think, you want me on your team. You want me to be a part of this. We all love to be wanted. Here's a cool thing. God has called us. He wants you to, invite, to join in his mission. He's invited you to be a part of this story. He's invited you. And this is great news. Paul actually says, I thank Jesus who strengthened me. 
In other words, he didn't say, he called me because he saw in me that I was everything he needed, that I was strong enough, smart enough, I had the right past, I had everything lined up, so he's like, oh, you're the perfect candidate, Paul. No, it says, he called me, but he strengthened me. Where I was weak, he is strong. And so here today, you might say, well, if God's calling me, he's calling a pretty messed up person. He knows that. Maybe someone who's weak, but in Christ, you are strong. In Christ, you are completed. In Christ, you have what you need. And so he starts off with a reminder, and I think this is encouraging for all of us, that we are invited in. And it is such a joy to be a part of the mission of God in giving life, not taking life. I think of when um, I've, I've had the privilege of working in ministry and ever, even when I first became a Christian, getting involved in just helping others. And, and I remember for a while when I was working with youth, um, I had uh, at the time two of my kids. They were pretty young at the time. And I remember one of the college students that I was working with, been praying for him and working with him for many years. And he was really struggling. He was actually struggling with some drug addiction. And I remember the day, I still remember it, when he called me and said, I want to come over and talk to you. And so he came over to our house and he told me, hey, I, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to give this up. I want the healing of Jesus, and I, I don't want to live this life anymore. I remember the joy of that. And, and, and I re- even still remember when I said, okay, so what's your plan? How are we going to, do you have any drugs with you right now? He says, well, I have some in my car. I said, okay, you need to get rid of those. And he said, I'm going to. He goes, actually, I spent a lot of money on them, so I'm thinking of selling them. And then... <laughs> And, I, and then I think, well, how much money did, you know, <laughs> but I thought about it and like, okay, you, ca- you can't do that. You can't be driving around, like seriously, you, you have to go full surrender. And he goes, oh, it's so much money, but he goes, you're right, I'm going to. So he ran out to his car and he, he pulled out a bag of uh, pot first and, he, and I said, okay, anything else? He goes, yeah, and then he gave me a bag of cocaine and then he said, and I also have a, here's some pills. And I'm looking at all this stuff like, okay, anything else? No, I'm good, nothing else. And uh, we prayed, and he surrendered his life and, you know, kind of walked away that lifestyle, and he drove away. And I just remember the joy of saying, I'd rather be a part of giving life than taking life. And then I looked down at all these, and I looked at my kids who were playing in the garage after. I'm like, okay, now what, you know? And then I thought, how much can I sell this? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Got rid of all that. And, but the joy of being invited into God's mission and being a part of giving life, not taking life. And being wanted to be included in that is such a joy. So Paul says, I thank God that he's invited me in, that he's called me. Now, verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent aggressor, that's quite a resume. I was someone who fought against faith. I was a blasphemer. I spoke against Jesus. I was a violent aggressor. Paul actually stood at the trial of Christians and pronounced their death sentence and and oversaw the the persecution and death of other Christians. He was against God, not for him. So he said, even though I was a blasphemer and I was a violent aggressor, I love this next part. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. God looked into his heart and said, you don't understand. Now, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Notice this, with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He was one who was a blasphemer, who fought against faith, yet he found faith in Christ Jesus. He was violent, aggressor, he was a persecutor, he was filled with hate, 
Yet in Christ Jesus, he had love. So Jesus entered in and redeemed the broken parts of Paul's life. He redeemed him. He takes his past and he uses it. Now, I love this word here. There's a Greek word. We don't always get into the Greek because sometimes the Greek word is the same as the English word. But there's a Greek word here when it says Jesus Christ was more than abundant, as some of your translations might say. This is a word that's only used here in the whole New Testament. And it actually means to be present in super abundance. And he's saying, where I was lacking, Christ was present in super abundance to supply what I need. Where I was a blasphemer and without faith, Jesus showed up in super abundance. I love that word picture. It's not just a little bit, but everything he could ever need was found in Christ. Showed up in super abundance. So his life was redeemed, the good and the bad. Some of you are here and you have scars and wounds from your past, maybe decisions you've made. Jesus wants to use that to redeem it. And maybe for you, you can take that past as a ministry to others. I love the phrase that said, God takes our history and he makes it into his story. I love that phrase. Because your history, God uses as a part of his story. The good and the bad. You see, Paul was also a very well-trained person. He understood the Old Testament scriptures. God used that good part and he redeemed it then to, to be used with debates with others. He used his great knowledge. God said, it's not just the bad parts of your life, Paul, but the good parts I'm going to use. Your history is going to become his story. I was thinking of uh, my past and uh, growing up. If I talked to my elementary school teachers or my junior high school teachers and principals and counselors and told them what I did today, most of them would probably say, oh, really? So what prison do you do that in? And, And so... But <laughs> they would look at me and say, really, you're, you're, you're a pastor. You work at a church. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense to them. But I said, yeah, I, a big part of my job is speaking. I, I speak a lot. I talk a lot. I think then they would say, oh, I see that. <laughs> and the reason why is because from a very young age, I was so good at talking that my teachers often sent me to the principal to just because of my great gift. I was there quite often, (laughs) and it was all they kept telling me, it's because he talks so much, so they would send me to talk to the principal, didn't make sense to me, (laughs) but see, my past is, I was communicating and talking a lot, and I got into drama, and I was into things like that, but so public speaking, and speaking, sometimes with permission, sometimes without, was something that was part of my past, but all along, I was practicing for what God had for me, even though I didn't know it. See, your history, God wants to turn into his story. You have probably been practicing for what God wants to use you for your whole life. You might not know it. But he wants to use and redeem the good and the bad for his story. Some of you are amazing at business. You have a way of looking at something and solving problems. And and some of you have become very successful at at turning companies around and generating income and and, and making money. And probably you're the kids when you were younger to have the lemonade stand on the side of the road. And you probably hired your sibling at a lower rate than you were making. Because you've always, that's just been part of who you are. It's your story. 
And it's amazing and a joy for me to see so many of you who that's been your story your whole life, that now God uses that as you've used it to bless missionaries and church ministry. And you've been able to use your ability to generate income and to solve problems to now use for God's kingdom. You see, our history, God will redeem for his story. Paul's saying that. Hey, I had all the reason to not be invited in, but God used it now for his glory. The next part is this. Verse 15. Now this gets to the heart of this. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. If there's ever a verse for you to memorize, Paul's telling you, memorize this one. This is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost of all. Now, whether Paul is the foremost of all sinners is debatable. But what he means is, in Christ, there is, it doesn't matter. There's no level of, I'm a better sinner than you, or a worse sinner than you, or a bigger sinner of you. He's saying, I, as a sinner, was undeserving of God's love and his grace. But the good news is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he said, even though I was the worst of sinners, in verse 16, for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So this next part of this is is Paul's getting to the heart of the message. Jesus came to save sinners. Does anyone in here know any sinners? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Few of us. All right, you you might live with one. All right, so, um, (laughs) right. We all, right, we're all sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world for us. Came into the world for your friends, for your co-workers, for your parents, for your kids. He came to save sinners. And for this reason, Paul said, I found mercy. So that in me, Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to others. See, notice what happened here is, first, Paul's saying, I'm so grateful I'm called. I'm so grateful that my life has been redeemed, the good and the bad. But now here's the next thing. He's actually demonstrating that he's been empowered to live out this story. And notice it's not in Paul's power. He said, in me, Christ demonstrates his perfect patience, his work in me. Christ demonstrates his power in my life, and that makes a difference in others. Isn't it great that God is not relying on you and your power and your strength to make a difference in others' lives? That's a good thing. Isn't it great that you don't have to rely on my ability to be perfect and and my strength and my power and my wisdom to lead a church? Isn't that good news? That's, this is when, I know most of you are pretty quiet, this is a good time to say amen. Like, oh yes, that's, that should get like an applause. If you say, it is good news that we rely on the power of Christ and not ourselves. That is good news because it's his strength and power in us. Paul said, in my life, the worst of sinners, a broken person, Jesus demonstrates who he is and that made a difference in lives around me. You see, God's not inviting you and calling you as a part of his story because you have so much to offer. Now you do have stuff to offer. We all do. Again, God uses our past, the good and the bad for his name. But he does it with his power, his strength in you. It's about Jesus, and Jesus' life lived through you, 
When we talk about learning to follow Jesus, what we're talking about is learning to have less of you and more of him. That's what we mean. And it's his strength and his power. One of the most freeing things that I can pray in my preparation. Now, I want to tell you this. Do I, still, I believe it's on the power of God and it's up to him to change lives. And, and, and in fact, I will work hard on a sermon. There's sermons when I, I give a sermon, I think that was a really good sermon. That was pretty good, God, wasn't it? That was good. And, and like silence, no one says anything. And there's sometimes I get off the stage, I'm like, man, that sermon was not as, that didn't go the way I thought it would. And someone will come up and be like, oh, the, what you said, God just used it. I'm like, really, he used that? <laughs> and often it's like the part, I'm like, that's not even the good part. Why didn't you, why didn't he use the good part? And it just reminds me it's the power of God at work, not me. And it's so freeing for me in my preparation, because I, I believe I need to work as if unto the Lord. So I want to prepare, I want to pray, I want to, it's not the first time I've heard this sermon when you hear it, okay? I, I work on this stuff. I want to say, God, what is the word you have for your people this week? I take it seriously. But it's very freeing to say, okay, God, my job is done now. You work in the hearts of people, because I can't. That's your job. If they're not changing, that's your fault, not mine, all right? It's a freeing prayer, very freeing prayer. Because my job is to be faithful to respond to the Spirit of God. And that's it. And it's His power. It doesn't rely on us. So when we're invited into His story, when we're finding our why, when we as a church are saying, we want to help people discover life in Christ, we want to make a difference in our community and see transformation, ultimately we're saying, Jesus, it's your power in us, through us, and around us, not us. That's so freeing. Now here's the last thing I love. Verse 17, Paul just talked about being called, being redeemed, being powered by God. And then in verse 17, he changes gears. And he says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. He actually breaks out in a praise song. This is actually a praise song that he's writing. And then he just can't help but to burst out in praise of God. Because the more he's thinking about this, the more his response is, here is my motivation. Here is the why. Here is the crux of it all. It's the King Eternal, the God who created all things, immortal. He's all-powerful. The God we sang about this morning who has all power, this is to the King. The invisible, he's a spiritual God. He's, he's present. The only wise God, be all honor and glory and power. When Paul thought about this message and starts writing to Timothy, he breaks out in praise because he says, it is flowing from our God to me. It didn't start with me. Praise God that the king of the universe, the creator of all things, has invited me. He came and initiated. He, it's his story. How can I not respond to that? Paul it's as if he ends this with remembering the big why behind it all. The why was, I can do this because God has first loved me. Because God reached out to me. Because God made himself known. Because the creator of the universe, it starts with him. That's the why. We're going to end our time, and I have a, a short video clip for you to see. And this clip is, is from a comedian um, named Michael Jr. He's a great comedian, but he's, he's at a, a church, and he's actually talking about this whole issue of why and remembering our why. So take a look at this. 
How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm healing? I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if... Uh, your uncle just got out of jail. You got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. When you know hey, your, I'm going to show you a clip. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful. We want to be a church that's all about Jesus. We want to rest in his love for us. We want others to be transformed by his life. We want that. That's our why. But our why is because he has already poured out all of that for us so that we can have life. Our why is because he first loved us. Our why is because this is the story he's inviting us into. And if we can remember our why, then we can sing. I mean, we, actually, I think you move from singing to singing. You know, I mean, we want to know our why. It's not about the what. And what we thought was a great way to start off our new year was to start off a Sunday by taking communion. Because for us, communion is remembering the why. It's remembering 
the story that Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. And so around the table, around the room here this morning, we have tables uh, with communion set, and we have two songs where we invite you to go over to the tables, and you could go individually if you'd like to go with your family or with a couple. You want to spread out around the room to reflect and pray. If you just want to stay where you are, if you want to take the communion elements back to your uh, seat, that's fine. If you want to take your communion wherever it is, that's fine. We want to create space. But we want to use this time to remember our why. And so when you take the bread that represents the body of Christ, the life of Christ that he lived, the death he died, his life that was broken for you and for me, that we may have life. When we were undeserving, we remember our why, that he, his life was lived for us. And then we take the juice, which for us is a reminder of of the blood that he shed that was actually a covenant that he made, agreement that he made, when he said, I make this agreement with you that my life will be enough for you, that I, once you are in me, nothing will separate you from my love. And so we take that juice and we remember our why. That though undeserving, though we stumble and fall, his agreement with us cannot be broken. And for that we can worship. So pray with me and, and then take uh, any time during the next two songs to go and to remember the why. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the reminder that you've invited us into your story. And you've more than abundantly supplied everything that we need for that story. And because of that, God, we just want to submit and surrender our lives to you and and we want to this church community to be about you we want more of you and less of us and so lord now as we remember the life you lived the death you died we remember your resurrection we remember your spirit that's been given to us god may we grasp the fullness of this amazing love and your power in our lives May we remember that it's all from you because of you. So we thank you and give you this time.